my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Hello, my name is Eric, creator and host of Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. Welcome to another episode. For this episode, I will be sharing my coming out story. Why now? Well, I realized this past week with Stockholm having its pride festivities that it was this time, 24 years ago, that I began the process for myself of coming out as a gay man. Ooh, what a difference a few days makes, huh? <laughs> as many of us know who start this journey of self-acceptance, that it's one that really changed my life in a big and beautiful and dramatic way. But let me just start off briefly, just sharing for those of you who don't know a little bit about who I am. Apart from that, you can hear more of my story in episodes 20 and I believe episode 5 of who I am and my journey at the moment. But I'll just start off quickly here for this episode and tell you a bit about me. I am an American. I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona and spent 20 plus years living in Los Angeles, California. My story, the last Almost three years is that I've spent most of my time in Europe traveling between Sweden, Stockholm, and the UK, the United Kingdom. What sparked that journey quickly is that I first discovered Stockholm in 2015 when I came out to visit supporting a friend who was in Copenhagen, Denmark for the Ironman. He was participating in that. And so, yeah, I just really fell in love with Stockholm and kept coming back. And I thought, oh, wow, I think I could really enjoy living here. I left my life in L.A. and decided to give myself some time to see what could happen. And what has happened has been amazing. But again, you can hear more about that in episodes 20 and episode 5. Apologize if I don't get episode 5 right. You know, it's interesting because I had a dream when I was in my early 20s that I would not ever come out as a gay man, that I would never accept that part of myself. My dream was that I would marry to a woman and have children. And I would say on my deathbed to my children, oh, guess what? I'm gay. <laughs> I'm just grateful that that wasn't a part of my journey and that I did eventually find the awarenesses and the courage to accept myself as a gay man. As I mentioned earlier, I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona. I come from a small nuclear family. I grew up with my mother and my stepdad, and then I have a younger brother and two younger sisters. I realized after I came out that regardless of my orientation life, or at least my sexual history, would have been a challenge because I grew up in a repressed home. And this is not me playing the victim card. It's just, you know, the cause and effect of things that I've learned over the years. And definitely when I went to therapy, we were a quiet, loving family, but we didn't really talk much about our feelings. And I was this kid who was incredibly introverted, incredibly shy. God, it's interesting to talk about myself. 
I just lived this very, very small world within my own internal dialogue. And I know some of that was encouraged through my mother, who I said at her service at her funeral when she died in 2004. I was aware that my mother loved me very much. However, she was not a very warm and uh, emotionally affectionate or physically demonstrative person. I definitely felt her love when she was protecting me or when she was steering me down certain paths, especially around my education. That was something that was very important in the home. My memories of my upbringing and of our relationship is that we weren't that close. I've heard either through my friendship network or just what I've read or what I've seen in media that it's not uncommon for gay men to have close relationships with their mother. And on the flip side of that, I know there are some who are in the conservative camp, the religious community, at least in the United States, who believe that that's a cause of, at least with gay men, homosexuality. Well, I can't check that box because, yeah, my mom and I were not that close. I always describe her. She was a very cool woman. She was pleasant, but I think very few people knew who she was at her core, or she allowed them into that space. We moved around a lot, something that I wasn't especially thrilled about because I never really was settled long enough in a community to form long-term bonds, to become parts of communities. That is part of my journey. That's part of my history. I don't sit in a space of self-pity around that, especially now that I'm living this life currently as a digital nomad in Europe. It's those tools that I learned during those experiences in childhood that are helping me um, where I'm at today, helping me to stay focused in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was not one of those kids who can say that I knew consciously at least that I was gay, because I've heard that story too. In particular, gay boys say that they knew when they were four or five years old that they were gay. I don't know if it's the family dynamics or whatever. It wasn't my story. However, I can look back and see moments where there could have been an inkling around four or five years old. One memory in particular that was a traumatic one for me that I forgot about for years. It wasn't until a few years after I came out just kind of buried it beneath the surface. I grew up with one first cousin. He's nine years older than me. He wasn't like a big brother to me, but he was definitely somebody I looked up to. He was outgoing. I kind of was around that age, I became aware that he was popular. I remember <laughs> the daughter of my babysitter. She was my cousin's age, and she found out we were cousins. And not that she was mean to me before, but I was very aware at that young age that when she found out that we were related, that she became especially chummy to me and would ask me every now and again, oh, how's your cousin doing? Oh, did you tell him that I said hi? So yeah, he was somebody that I really, really looked up to. And so the memory that I buried, I was at my aunt's house, his mother, my mom's sister, and we were sitting on the sofa, I remember, and we were watching a dance program, a teen dance program. I was just sitting there with him. I remember that at one point he had started to speak in a way that I knew he shouldn't be speaking to me, asking me what I thought of the girls on the dance program. Did I think they were pretty? What did I think about their chest, their breasts? That's not the words that he used. And I remember I chuckled initially, but then I became uncomfortable because I could tell that his energy was changing. He just kept kind of grilling me and like, why don't you think they're pretty and yada, yada, yada. 
And the next memory around that moment was being picked up. My mother picking me up, and I just remember them yelling. I clearly remember my mother holding me and us walking to the car and getting in the car. And it's interesting that that memory, it came up after I came out, because when I did come out to my aunt, my cousin's mother, I took her out to dinner. This was the moment I was going to tell her I came from L.A. to Phoenix. And I was like, well, I have something to tell you. And she just looked at me and she said, I knew when you were four. I just looked at her and I was like, how could you know that about me at that young age? And she said, because that's around the age that people started to talk about it. And that's around the age that people started to come to me. They wouldn't come to your mother, but they would come to me and ask me, like, what's wrong with him? Why does he seem a certain way? Soft and so word I remember back then. And so I wonder if that was connected to what my cousin did to me. Maybe kids were making fun of him. You know, even though I was four or five years old, you know, I was this little boy who, by some people's standards, was not becoming who people expected. And like I said, I was a very shy kid. When I discovered books, when I discovered reading, that was my world. When I started going to school, I was not a very social child, but in the classroom, that was my arena. I loved learning and I loved books. I don't even remember learning to read. I feel like I knew my alphabet most likely for sure, because like I said, my mother, uh, that was something that she really made sure that was the focus of mine was school and, and good grades. It was just my mom and me. It's something I don't really talk about. I didn't grow up with my birth dad. When I did find him after my mother died, that he never knew about me, which I kind of guessed over the years, just based on what my mother wouldn't share with me. It was just the two of us, me and my mom, pretty much until I was nine when she married my stepdad. And then life changed in a big way. Um, you know, more children followed. And my stepdad was somebody who was a rageaholic and incredibly violent emotionally and physically at times when he drank. So that, I believe, kind of encouraged me to go within a little bit more just to survive this new chaotic environment. But around my sexuality, my sexual orientation, we didn't talk about sex or anything like that. I do remember when I was about seven in second grade and these girls who were the popular girls in school were talking about this new boy in class. They mentioned that, oh my God, he is so cute. And I remember a very clear thought of mine that was, oh my God, he is very cute. And then my next thought was, oh my God, did I just say that out loud? I don't have memories of my mother telling me that being gay is bad or being aware of any gay people around us, but I was very clearly aware or afraid that I had said that out loud, that I agreed with the girls. Looking back, that was another probably mini awareness, but I had no clue what that meant other than I just didn't want to be called a sissy because at that age, I was aware too that I didn't have a lot of the character traits that people expected from little boys. I wasn't a rough and tumble kind of child. I was most comfortable around people older than me because they usually kind of left me on my own. And I was probably starting to become aware that the labels of being nice and being polite and being well-mannered, at least for adults, was something that helped me to win favor. Yeah, I think I was just afraid of being called a sissy. Oh, that means that a boy wants to be a girl. 
I have this theory that I wonder if a lot of us gay men, the reason why we don't participate in athletics is because there's an awareness on some level, consciously or unconsciously, that those are spaces where our uniqueness will be called out. Uh, I definitely had no interest in American football. You know, I liked baseball and basketball. I didn't dislike it. Yeah, and I remember, too, that my first male teacher was fifth grade. I used to overhear girls talk about, oh, my God, Mr. Shelton is so cute. Uh, I was just thinking about him when I decided to record this particular episode that I, <laughs> this might be sharing too much. I wonder if he is connected to the type of men I attracted to, because there's definitely a physicality that he had and a look that he had that I can notice in the men that I find attractive or the ones that I really feel a connection to. And that's just a revelation I had yesterday. So it's interesting. And again, I didn't have that awareness within myself that I had a crush on him. I was just aware that it was not something that I should share with my family or anyone else was not something that I, I felt comfortable or I sensed that I could share. And, you know, puberty happened for me, God, I want to say around 13, 14 years old, that whole process of life. I've had people ask me, like, was that around that age? I had a aha moment, like, oh, maybe I like boys and not girls. And I can honestly say no. But again, I think that was connected to the home life. I think that was connected to the fact that with my mother and stepfather's marriage and their dynamics and the chaos that swirled around the home, I was so focused on finding spaces of peace with that that I just really didn't take time to think about that. I mean, I definitely was aware of my physical changes with my body and everything. And, and I was aware, too, that the sexual fantasies that I remembered were focused on some of the boys at my school and my class at my age. I can never say I was in the closet, or at least my perception of it is that being in the closet means that I acknowledge to myself that I'm gay. I never said that to myself until I did when I was 28 years old. I never said to myself, oh, you might be gay. I kind of toyed with the idea around 25, 26 of bisexual, but I didn't let it stick because I was aware enough then because I did have uh, a couple of gay friends at that point or had to know that for me to try to put that label on myself was me admitting to myself that I am gay. How I describe it from what I remember emotionally is just being shrouded in a blanket of numbness, of I cannot let myself go there and acknowledge this part of myself. And it was never conscious as far as I remember. It was just, I can't do this. The only thing that I can believe that it was connected to, why I was so determined not to visit that part of my life, especially in puberty when boys in junior high are just so rampant with hormones and bragging about the sex that they allegedly were having at that time. I do remember, at least on a conscious level, saying, well, I'm too focused on school. I'm too smart. I am too evolved to really care about my sexual, physical self. That was my way of skating through sitting still with myself long enough to say, this is part of who I am. There was another moment around the age of 14. My mom, my stepdad, and me, I'm not sure, my brother and sister at that time were too young. We were going to family counseling, not together, 
I was sent for a summer to a therapist. Looking back, I loved her energy. She helped me to find my voice through writing. I had always been writing, you know, as a kid in school and everything, but she helped me to, in a small way, find my voice through journaling, I should say. And I started writing in this journal that she gave me, this blue, really nice padded journal that she gave me. I was self-aware enough to know not to write anything about attractions to other boys at school. Most of that book was written about my stepdad and how much I hated him. This was maybe a year or two later. I came home from school. I was a sophomore in high school. And my stepdad was standing behind my mother in the living room. And my mother was holding the book. And he was yelling. And I don't really remember what he was saying. I was incredibly afraid of my stepdad. But I also was at times willing to stand up to him, even though he was physically bigger than I was at that time. He left the room, and I remember my mother saying to me that he found the journal and he read it, and he was upset about the things she said. And then she said ever so casually, and I can honestly say it didn't feel judgmental. He was also looking for proof that you're gay. What did I feel in that moment? I wasn't ready. I just shut down even more. And then, you know, high school happened. I only had one date in high school. That was my senior year. I was so happy about that date. Nothing to do with an actual physical attraction to her. I was just happy because I was aware enough to know that this could help me socially at school. Because at that point, I was known as Eric the quiet one, Eric the nice one, Eric the smart one. You know, I could be friendly if somebody talks to me. Even today, I, I can be friendly. But... Yeah, I was just so happy about that date. And I remember, too, because her mom came to pick me up for the date. We went to this teen club in Phoenix or in Glendale, which is like a, a suburb, I guess, of metropolitan Phoenix. And I remember my mother and stepfather. I can still clearly see their faces and this joy on their faces. Like, yes, maybe, hopefully. But no. <laughs> And then I graduated high school. I went to college. I went up north to Flagstaff to uh, Northern Arizona University, 18 years old, intensely aware of how naive I was and how inexperienced I was and intensely determined not to show it, which I look back now and realize was just giving all the clues away. At around 16, I discovered music in a big way and a lot of the fashion uh, the artists that I followed at the time, I, I really loved the mods, uh, you know, church codes. And there was just a look I really liked at that time. And I started to express myself through my clothes and through my hair at that time based on the artists that I was listening to. And so I landed in college with that look and I never was teased or anything, but <laughs> they were clues <laughs> for sure. College, at least socially, was just really, really hard for me. And, and even now, thinking about it, it's like if in recalling college, yeah, it was a very uncomfortable experience for me socially. I had friends, but I was surrounded by what happens a lot in college is the increased dating. A lot of us began to have sex lives, and that was not my story. Most of my college experience. My college roommate, uh, <laughs> yeah, I definitely was in love with him. 
did not have those words of that acute awareness at that time, but it was like those moments in childhood or those crushes I remember in childhood in junior high, high school, where I was aware enough to squash down within my own internal dialogue what not to say to myself. And I was also aware to never share those, those clues with anyone else, which is interesting because my senior year of high school, my first real I count as my real close friend, my best friend, was gay. And I still was not comfortable within myself to acknowledge that I was gay. (laughs) You know, when I did come out to him after I came out to myself or acknowledged that part of myself, he was one of the few people (laughs) that was surprised. And he said, because I just assumed that because I was so out that it would have been so easy for you to say that to yourself and to me. Uh, with college, I transferred schools, and interesting enough, my college roommate did too, and we transferred to his hometown of Tucson, and that's when we got an apartment together, and uh, the relationship really got sour, and I know on my end it became sour because uh, there were things that happened that um, I know today, and I kind of knew then, but I know today do not happen between friends, male friends, regardless of sexual orientation. And for me, I wanted things to go further, although I didn't have the dialogue for that. And so I just became really bitter. It affected our dynamic. It affected our living situation. It affected our relationship, my part at least, that I will stand up to. I started college as a journalism major, and then I switched to theater. And that was why I had changed schools coming down to the University of Arizona made new friends and starting this new major. And then I met this person in theater classes, this guy. We just had this dynamic, this spark that a few months into knowing each other, we just became this unit, this dynamic that I had never experienced before. His dynamic as a person, he was incredibly outgoing, incredibly athletic, incredibly popular, attractive, somebody that I saw women who were vocal about their attraction to him. And I saw how he interacted with men. And I noticed with straight identified men who are very physically attractive, the men who circle around him, I think that's what draws them to them too, not on a sexual level, but just there's something about a person who's physically attractive that is like a magnet to a lot of people. So he definitely had that dynamic about him. And we became friends and it was a fascination to me because he was very, very extroverted and very outgoing. I was very shy and introverted, but we just had this dynamic and I always describe it was like a match and a flame around him. I wasn't outwardly a different person publicly, but I was able to open up in a way that I hadn't before. We were two Black men who really saw the world in a very similar way and for different reasons. I was this Black kid from Phoenix, Arizona, who moved around a lot, self-conscious about myself because my persona and how I sounded, I was very clearly aware that for some people within and outside of the Black community, I was considered not Black enough, air quotes, and, you know, you sound white, you act white. That was not his persona. He was definitely much more what people expected when they, you know, interact with Black men. But he was unique in his own way because he had a white mother and a Black father. And although he was Black identified, you know, he shared with me 
experiences with himself and where people would try to challenge his authenticity as a Black person. So those were one of the things I believe that we really bonded over. And he saw the passion in me that I couldn't really see in myself. And I don't believe that a lot of people saw in me. He saw that passion in me. And we were both incredibly focused on creating more diverse perceptions of Black men in media. Hence why we both were in theater. And at least at that time, we both wanted to be actors. The good parts of that dynamic, that relationship, tools that I still have today, they were experiences that I still carry with me today. There was a flip side of that, but I'll get into that a little bit later. Being frustrated with how the theater department at that school at the time, we became aware very quickly that us as young Black men were not going to be cast in the roles that we felt we could perform in on campus. I know for me, I was like, I'm not going to be an extra here on these stages for four years. So I started to go off campus and find projects, theater projects, and so incredibly grateful that's still going on. Barbia Williams Performance Company, I believe it's called, started to get work locally, and she's a local celebrity there who does a lot of amazing work for Black theater, for Black dance. I didn't know that the performances that I was in were being written up in the local paper. And so that was initially actually kind of how we bonded because he came up to me in class and shared with me like, oh, wow, you're doing stuff off campus. That's really cool. Let me know when there's a new audition, if it's okay, because I'd like to audition. And that's how we bonded is we both got cast in this production of the Color Museum. He was a huge partier. And so he would bring me to parties. And I never really felt comfortable necessarily because he played baseball. He came to the school through a baseball scholarship. We didn't graduate from that program. We both just were really chomping at the bed and saying, you know, we're both good actors. We're both doing well in classes. Why not try our hand at moving to Los Angeles? And so we dropped out of school and moved to LA. And that's how my journey to LA began. That was also the beginning of me really imploding Part of that I know was connected to me still not willing to acknowledge to myself that I'm gay. Going out and trying to put on this persona or this belief within myself and also outwardly that I'm a straight man (laughs) and failing miserably. (laughs) And so what happened for me for over the next few years is that I just started to go out less and less and to go within a really dark place and drinking and gaining a lot of weight through eating, being a way to soothe these perceptions of self, low self-esteem that I couldn't deal with at the time. And so what preceded me coming out? I think it was a year-long process. I remember around November of 97, just having one of those many awarenesses that my life was not the life that I wanted to live and that I wasn't sharing with my family this life that I had fallen into of it just being a very, very small existence. You know, I had been in LA for at that time about five, five and a half years, but I just was living a shell of a life and was becoming a little bit aware that part of that had to do with me not acknowledging that I'm gay. It also had to do with me leaning on things outside of myself to fix the insecurities that I had around my sexuality, around me as a person. And then, yeah, August 24 years ago is when I began the process for myself of sitting down and saying, I'm gay. 
I always joke that I didn't come out of the closet. The door just opened and I fell out because I was just ready. It was time about two years before that I was starting to be intimate with men anonymously. But in that, I was also heaping on more shame because that was very hidden. It was very, it was nothing I was proud of doing. And the person that I was living with at that point, we'd known each other for eight years and been living together for over six. And starting to acknowledge that that relationship was not healthy. I wasn't ready to acknowledge my emotional attachment to him or my emotional feelings towards him as far as a romantic love. But I was kind of allowing myself to say I'm definitely attracted to him. That relationship slowly, actually, no, it quickly disintegrated. <laughs> Based on the amount of time we knew each other, I moved out on my own within six months of me telling him for the first time that I'm gay. And he wasn't surprised. You know, we lived together for six years. It was a very codependent dynamic. It was also a relationship that um, some things happened that I don't think he's ever voiced publicly just based on what I knew of him at the time and based on who he still is. When I last saw him a few years ago, I don't think he shared with anybody some of the um, dynamics of our relationship or some of the experiences that happened between us that I know that some of the things that happen between us do not happen between men, regardless of their sexual orientation, similar to my college roommate, but this is about me. It's not about him. And uh, yeah, so I came out. It was a beautifully scary experience. I think I cried every other day that first year because it was just so real and so final. And it was uh, the second thing in my life that I allowed myself to admit was my truth and who I am. And I remember that very first crush that I acknowledged after coming out that I had on somebody. It was this guy from New York. And I remember going home and, and writing about him because I was still journaling at that time. And I still do now from time to time. But um, I remember writing about him and like, oh, my God, I am fully consciously aware that I like this guy. It was just a beautiful thing to acknowledge that to myself for the first time and to start to share that with people not around me initially because I had to change my friendship network. And so I reconnected with my best friend from high school, and that was a beautiful experience. I disconnected from him. That was another example of self-hatred, and that manifested in me lashing out at people, and he was one of them a beautiful, beautiful spirit. And I lashed out when I moved to LA and didn't talk to him until I came out six years later. I found out when I reconnected with him that he had been living in LA at that time for two years. And so we were able to bond now both as out gay men, able to get honest too about things that I was uncomfortable with. He was my closest friend, but I was uncomfortable when I became aware of truly became aware of race and racism, that me having a white friend for some people could be a challenge. You know what? I'm not going to put that on them. It was me because I was not dealing with the fact that I'm a very proud Black man and now a very proud Black gay man, but I was still not accepting how I present as a Black person and allowing certain voices to come into my circle and, and help me to believe that I wasn't authentically myself as a Black man. So uh, reconnecting it with my high school friend was great. I started to meet gay friends in Los Angeles. 
And, you know, life as a gay man went on. And, you know, I assumed when I came out that it would just all click together. I would fall in love finally and that I would just live happily ever after. And that did not happen. What happened through a lot of bumps and bruises is that I had to come to an awareness that I was looking for a savior in human form. Yeah, it was great to be an out gay man, but it was not healthy that I was looking for somebody to rescue me, for someone to save me. And that came out through therapy initially. I started therapy right after my mom passed at the beginning of 2004. That started that journey of admitting to myself that I need to look at the men that I'm drawn to. And I thank my therapist for this, that I have to watch being drawn to men who are emotionally distant like my mother was because I'm looking for a way to heal that relationship that I can never heal because, you know, you can't go back and change the past. So I'm much more aware of that now. I love being who I am. I believe we're born this way, especially with this platform of Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. It is so fascinating to meet men and women, people all across the world, and we all share a similar story. Yeah, I came out, I started dating. I had a very amazing mentor, friend who used to say to me, falling in love with the idea of love. And he used to say it to me whenever I would come to him with my tail booking my legs saying, oh my God, this didn't work out. What's wrong with him? Why is it he responding in the way that I need him to respond to give me what I need. And it's like, no, I needed to come to a place of realizing that I need to become a whole person, regardless of if someone is in my life or not, romantically speaking. For years, I didn't know that I needed to come down and plant my feet on the ground and realize that, yes, romantic love is a beautiful part of life, but it doesn't fix me. I have to go for myself to spiritual sources to find peace with myself and to find more self-acceptance. doesn't mean that one needs to be religious. I'm not a religious person. I definitely need to be honest with that connection in a way that I never knew I needed to be so that I could be honest with myself and so that I could be honest with those around me. And yeah, where I'm at now is I'm single. I've been single most of my adult life and I had a source of shame around that too. And I think that was why with some of the emotional challenges that I came into that particular awareness with, I was trying to make up for lost time. Like a lot of people came out right after high school. A lot of people came out in the early 20s. I came out in my late 20s. I need to find a boyfriend now. And therefore I was settling and not negating who that person was, but I was settling for what they wanted and not for what I needed. And that's continuing to be a work in progress, especially in the last, I would say, three, four years. For the first time, realizing that I need to be completely 100% honest about who I find attractive. Physically, yeah, that's important. But also, I believe or I feel there's other parts of attraction that need to be there. And also that I need to continue to be more open and honest and vulnerable in that part of my life. I need to look at my perception still. And this last situation did not end badly. This person actually was very honest about not wanting a relationship with me. It was beautiful in that it was the first time that I gave myself permission to acknowledge that I was disappointed. 
But what I did do that was familiar to what I'd done before is that I perceived this person saying that he didn't want to be in a relationship with me, that there was something wrong with me. There's still work to be done, not judging myself necessarily, but there's still work to be done in my romantic life. So when I reassessed the last situation, I was able to see like, no, that person didn't say to me there was something wrong to me. I perceived that to be that. And so I did something I have never done before. I reached out to him and said, I hope you're well. And I never left thinking that anything was wrong. I just needed time to process it. Yeah, so it was nice to do things a little differently. And in doing that and reaching out for me to let that go and say, that's a moment in my life. And I can take what I learned into the next one. So yeah, for me, I believe coming out is continual. Once I came out, I realized that, yeah, that is a unique experience for those of us who are part of the LGBTQ plus community. But the emotions around dating, around sex, around life in general are not unique to us. And so I can still look for examples and connect with those outside of the LGBTQ plus community. It's always been quite easy to form bonds with straight women. But for me, in the last few years, forming bonds with straight men and realizing that that's another area of healing with me believing or assuming because I am gay, that I could never have a friendship with a straight man or that he would not or could not have a friendship with me. I've learned in the last few years that that's not true. Yeah, that's my coming out story. I started this process with thinking I needed to write down a bunch of notes, but I just wanted to be organic as it can be. And that's my story. And, you know, if I share more about coming out in another year, another five years, another 10 years, I'm hopeful that I'll have new awarenesses around myself as a gay man. So that's all for me. I thank you for joining me for another episode. And I'll just end with this. In starting this platform of Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, I'm learning so much from the comments I get from people that listen and also from the guests. That's where I believe that building community and creating community is important for me. And hopefully you guys are getting something out of this too. So until next time, ciao. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.